any advice I have to give, especially when it comes to investing, is oftentimes is, you know, has to do with pulling the trigger. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Every once in a while, there comes a service that revolutionizes an industry. And I am proud to say that our best ever sponsor, Cozy, is that service for landlords and tenants. Cozy simplifies the rental process for everyone. Simply put, Cozy makes it easy to collect rent online, to screen tenants, to order credit reports, to do all the things that you are currently doing manually, but to automate it so that you can focus on more important things like growing your portfolio this year. The best part is that Cozy is completely free. It's free. There aren't any minimums, there aren't any transaction fees or monthly payments. No other service on the planet offers this to you for free. And one of the things that I love about Cozy is that Cozy automatically collects and transfers the rent so that every month you don't have to worry about forgetful tenants forgetting to pay you the rent. You can actually receive that rent automatically in your bank account, no questions asked. So you can say goodbye to paper checks, late payments, and all those lame excuses. And here's your chance to simplify your life and make more money. Join me and sign up for Cozy at Cozy.co. That's C-O-Z-Y dot C-O. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Matt Beal. Hi, Matt. Aloha. Aloha to you too. And as that greeting would indicate, Matt is in Hawaii. Matt is the co-host of the popular TV show on HGTV called Hawaii Life. He is the principal broker and co-owner of Hawaii Life Real Estate Brokers, which is a firm of over 200 brokers and agents across 10 different offices in Hawaii. And his brokerage has been named the third fastest growing Hawaii company by Pacific Business News. So really excited to have you on the show, Matt, and talk real estate investing and talk about your experience as a broker and really growing the company as a co-owner. Um, so with that being said, oh, and you have had an interesting surf trip that snowballed into a larger surf trip. And I'll let you explain that. So <laughs> with that being said, can you tell the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and decode the surf trip that I just mentioned? I guess I, I should start there because that sort of predates my, <laughs> my real estate career. I uh, embarked on what was supposed to be a surf trip to Australia. And you know, this is pre 9-11 at the time, Hawaiian Airlines had a, some sort of package where you could you could fly from here to Sydney with two stops, and the stops could be as long as you wanted, which is sort of strange. I don't think you could find that again, but I ended up stopping in Rarotonga, which is in the Cook Islands, and then also in Auckland. I never made the Rarotonga to Auckland stretch. I actually picked that flight back up and did end up flying to Auckland to Sydney. I spent um, a few months in the South Pacific, and I ended up hitching a ride on a sailboat, which is a, a very bizarre replica of an old Viking 
trading ship and uh we sailed from cook islands to tonga and then from tonga to fiji and by that time i was sort of hooked on just this notion of backpacking so the, the idea of a surf trip ended up kind of taking a back seat i ended up you know, hitchhiking all around new zealand and then uh, spent about six months in australia and then another six months or so in southeast asia you know, several months in europe and it just it's almost like once you pull at that thread of traveling it's you start unraveling something and that, that's certainly the case so almost two full years later i came back to hawaii and then about a year after that i got involved in real estate. So that all predates my uh, my real estate career by far. And you know, I've seen other interviews with you. And one of the things that you've said is that you're quick to act and that you're okay with you know being wrong. And that I think really is indicative. That trip is indicative of that type of mentality, you know, being quick to act and just kind of going with it and then figuring it out on the fly. I mean, I think that's sort of the type A personality, you know, behavior pattern and you know there's a lot of people in my life who are sort of the opposite of that and also have brilliant lives and you know there are people that really strive to get the greater contextual information and and details before they make decisions i'm just not one of them and you know it's it's not a value judgment as much as just like i say like a sort of behavior style or a personality but yeah i'm uh, i'm definitely in in the mode of uh of, you know, quick to pull the trigger. And I think, you know, for your best ever listeners, that probably will parlay into any advice I have to give, especially when it comes to investing. Is oftentimes, is, you know, it has to do with pulling the trigger and, and not overthinking what probably is an opportunity and an anomaly in some way, because there are often uh, innumerable ways to get out of a deal or, or uh, make an adjustment if you need to. But I more often than not, I see cost of, of people overthinking things and not being in action when uh, when it was really right there to be had. Let's talk about starting Hawaii Life Real Estate Brokers. You started it in 2008, which, as we all know, was the best time for the economy and the history of the United States. Right. So yes. you definitely had to be scrappy and learn, or maybe not learn, but implement and probably learn some techniques to survive in the crazy economic climate at that time. And I think it would be really interesting to hear your perspective perspective on how to create a company, not only from scratch, but during a time that things weren't going so well in the economy. How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I should preface all that by saying, you know, the question sort of implies that there was this intent for innovation, you know, and I think that's often the misnomer about innovation is that I most people don't set out to say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be really innovative and you know do something." Blah blah blah. Often it's it's actually by necessity, and then you know they're filling in a, filling in a void that wasn't met in a market or you know, providing a service that didn't exist before. You know, out of a need, like you're scratching their own itch kind of thing. And I think that's largely what happened for you know for me and for us is that I was a um, an investor and a, and a small time you know developer of all sorts of different real estate you know with small condominium projects to foreclosures to partition sales and all sorts of stuff you know with that market run up and it's uh, the subsequent credit evaporation you really needed a product and a service that worked when you were a seller when you needed to get stuff sold and it was largely um, sort of absent in our marketplace and probably even in the industry really especially since you know from 2000 to 2008 say so much of the industry industry moved and when i say the industry i mean you know buyers sellers you know, the actual people who are conducting the business they moved so quickly towards the internet that i think it left a lot of the brokers and agents behind and when times started to get a little less flush and uh, people weren't you know geniuses for being able to sell houses in 2006 having a product and a, and a service that really did get measurable results was very very powerful 
And so that's large in part, you know, where where we were able to perform and, and then get market share in a sort of merit-based business um, because we were getting measurable results. And interestingly, I think as the market has sort of gotten a little more sane and isn't quite so manic and uh, it's not 2008 or 2009 anymore anyway, the demand for those alternatives has actually gone down. So strangely, it's harder for us to grow market share as a real estate company because it's a lot easier to sort of rely on these old legacy companies is the best way to put it. So I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, the, the guts of it really had to do with basically a, a very high tech enabled platform that was exposure based and you know very, very measurable. And then it evolved into a group of brokers and agents who were sort of the best of the best that really realized where the problems in the industry were. And once all of those people were in a room with in-house you know, software engineers and in-house design and creative, really magical things uh, began to happen and still are happening. That's sort of the short story or short description of how the company was formed. It started as a high-tech enabled platform that evolved into, as you said, a group of bro- brokers and agents basically in a room. So uh, online to offline. That's right. Okay, it's 2008. Walk us back to when you know you're just starting. Did you just launch a website, or how how did that work? The reason why I'm asking is I'm putting myself in someone's shoes who is an agent studying to become a broker, and they want to ultimately replicate your success. So how do they approach it, or at least study your model? I'm not sure the formula still holds or still applies. I used to say. In 2010, for example, I was at a conference and I told everyone that they should all have their own, you know, in-house creative and design and and software. And and I'm not sure that's true anymore. I'm not sure that's a scalable uh, solution. I mean, for us, as we've sort of developed a product and and added to it, it's become part of who we are. Obviously, we're, we're staying with it. But I think if I were starting over today, I may or may not, you know, apply that. But the story, the way the story breaks out is my two partners ran a design and marketing company. And they had a sort of very early iteration of our website. And so, so early, you know, and so many versions ago that it's an entirely different product. But their thinking at the time was that, you know, this is 2007, say, that information about real estate listings was by that time basically ubiquitous. And that the idea that you would somehow pretend that, you know, the house down the street wasn't for sale uh, on a real estate website was just bogus. And so their, their sort of mantra was, you know, show all of the information, aggregate the, the various MLS organizations, their data, you know, throughout Hawaii and put it all together and deliver it in a format that's very, very uh, soft and sort of imbues trust on both sides of the, of the equation and allows prospects to browse it freely um, without forcing them to do anything, register or sign up for a newsletter or whatever, and earn their trust. And then uh, as a result of that, you know, gain more and more traffic and then leverage that traffic to sell what you want to sell. That philosophy worked very, very well at that time. We are, and you know, we were then and still are able to very effectively sell what we're hired to sell. You know, at that time, especially, it was, things were so brutal that everyone and their brother was looking for a successful alternative. So that quality of doing everything in-house, you know, having everybody eat at the same table was very, very positive. Um, and so the analogy, you know, now I think even still most most brokers and agents, you know, they're, they hire everything out for the most part. I mean, and, and where they don't hire it out, they think that they can do something and they end up doing it, you know, not very well. You know, so that looks like, uh, you know, photography, for example, or uh, sometimes copywriting or at the worst, you know, website creation and development. You know, I'm a, I'm a real estate broker, right? So my job is to sell and to list and to prospect and negotiate. 
Uh, my job is not to write HTML or CSS or, you know, to think about what typeface should go on a certain tagline and whether that tagline really conveys the message that we want. And, you know, all, all of the innumerable details that go into running a, a brokerage, which, you know, nowadays is an increasingly complex endeavor. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if the takeaway still holds, but I, I do think that at the very least, having a, uh, a hyper, hyper awareness of the quality of things like, you know, design and brand and messaging and you know, websites and user interface and exposure, those things really, really matter. And unfortunately, I think for real estate professionals, the industry has largely sort of duped them into believing that they can do all of those things on their own, which is just not true. Not only is it not true, it's also dangerous because while they might be able to do some of those things, regardless of their skill set, ultimately it will detract from that core essence of, you know, listing and negotiating prospecting and selling. Based on your experience, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? Wow. Yeah, I mean, it probably goes back to what I said earlier. Um, I, you know, I think that there are, obviously there are, you know, anomalies in any market and that rather than overthink them more often than not, it's better to pull the trigger sooner than later. And if you can give yourself an out at a later date, so that if you wake up in the middle of the night and think, hey, I don't want to be in this deal, then you know you can get out of it. Great. More often than not, I see people not taking advantage of an opportunity that's right there in their face because they either think it's too good to be true or there are some unknowns that they haven't answered yet that they probably have an opportunity to answer in another format or another venue without really taking too much risk. But for whatever reason, they talk themselves out of it. So, you know, in general, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And I think sometimes we are a little too tentative. They're looking for the golden goose and not the duck, right? Well, they don't pull the trigger <laughs> soon enough, you know, and um, what looks like risk, you know, and it, where you don't have the information may or may not actually be a risk. In a lot of situations, you do have time and the ability to discern whether or not those things are going to be deal killers or not. But, you, you know, you got to make sure that that's up to you to, to be in that position and not somebody else. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, lightning round. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Best ever listeners, it's 2015, and wouldn't you like to simplify the landlording process and automate it as much as possible while making more money along the way? It's a landlord's dream, right? With online rent payments, applications, and secure credit reports, Cozy makes being a landlord incredibly easy. And best of all, it's completely free. Sign up for Cozy at Cozy.co. That's C-O-Z-Y dot CO. Okay, Matt, best ever book you've read. You know, I sort of suffer from what I call the Bill Clinton syndrome, where the book I'm reading is the best book ever. So I'm reading a book now called Anti-Fragile or Anti-Fragile by uh, uh, it's Nassim Taleb. He wrote Fooled by Randomness, which is another great book. I'm very, very much enjoying it. I'm, I'm probably a third of the way through it. Prior to that, I'd say probably uh, this book Blockbusters by Anita Elbersi. She's a Harvard professor who um, wrote a very cool book about basically sports franchises and, and big production, you know, media production studios, how they're realizing that philosophy of taking huge risks and going after these huge, you know, the next Harry Potter franchise, for example, is actually more lucrative than doing a bunch of predictable sort of, you know, rom-coms that are going to get a predictable return. So they're they're basically gambling more, but they're getting a higher payout. So is it, and it's very heady and statistical. I think there are definite parlays or, or uh, parallels to real estate in that that were worth, you know, your, your best ever <laughs> listeners paying attention to, especially for investing. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of books like those. 
best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? That's tough for a lightning round question. <laughs> when I was in India, I did a, a 10-day Vipassana retreat, which is a 10-day meditation course that, you know, where you don't talk or read or make eye contact or, um, you know, really communicate. You're basically, you know, sitting for, for 10 days. What did I learn from it? I don't think I, I could get that across, you know, in this format. <laughs> but, I mean, I will say that I, I as a result of that, I, I have access to, uh, you know, to a sort of stillness and a, a presence that, hasn't left me since if ever i get just really stressed out or you know emotional or just dissociated about anything i i have the ability to sort of get to that place you know reasonably quickly and uh, it provides an enormous resource for me i mean i don't know how better to put it that that's some one of those sort of self-help things that instead of you know you do it and then it has a has an impact and then it kind of fades and you forget about it this never faded and i've never forgotten about it best ever success habit you practice you know i run on the sand every morning i run on the beach for about 30 or 40 minutes and it's not a you know, even running is probably not the right word it's a very very slow jog um, but i think doing it first thing in the morning and interrupting my sort of type a you know wake up into it kind of behavior is really really powerful because it just gets it just creates a context that is different than you know the, the 10 people I got to call back or, or whatever it really does bring a sort of big picture realm to my you know to my day I, I put that sort of morning run in there a wave of jealousy just washed <laughs> over me because I'm doing this show remotely in Cincinnati at an apartment community that I have so no and it's it's well okay there, there's a beach but it's negative one degree oh. right now in Cincinnati so I would probably literally be frozen if I tried to go outside and run once I started sweating. So uh, I'm very jealous of that. Best ever deal you've done. Well, is that, is that personal or business or does it matter? Either one. Business, I, I'm actually not at liberty to discuss it. Um. Oh, well then let's do personal. <laughs> Why give me two choices if there's only one? <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, of what I can say, it's, uh, I'd say, you know, hugely complicated, very high profile, you know, tons of attorneys, lots of moving parts, a lot of strategy, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, huge, huge, awesome outcome. And sometimes I think those deals, um, there's sometimes they're sort of the work of fantasy, but, you know, if you really get into them and stay with them, they're, uh, you know, they're real and they can, they can work out. Let's see. Personally, boy, that's another tough one. I had a, I wouldn't say it's just one, but I bought uh, a couple of uh, either foreclosures or sometimes partition sales that were particularly anomalous. And, you know, usually there would be some story about them in the community like, oh, you can't buy that because of blah, blah, blah. And I, I would often find out that that story was just completely made up. It wasn't true and, it, and who knows where it started and, and that this deal was actually just a screaming green light of a buy and that, you know, with the, the smallest little bit of effort, you know, cleaning up something or repairing something that was, you know, really defunct, I would create massive value so that and there were a couple that were like that where it's almost like when i heard gossip i thought oh this is going to be good because chances are it's not true and so those are probably the best ones you know these are like little, little small houses really best ever way to get your own show on hgtv oh. <laughs> you know i don't know they they cast us I, we didn't pitch that show but since then I'm, I'm i've been curious about that and you know how that whole world works if you take hgtv out of the equation because they're obviously a very very particular a network and just say any TV show. You know, having a unique story uh, is very, very powerful. Um, keeping in mind that it is a story and that it is media and that it, and as such, it needs to be 
you know, consume. So that that means it has to be a you know, begin, uh, has to have a beginning and a middle and an end, and have character. And uh, but also, you know, when you get start getting into the best ever uh, sort of modality, it has to be unique. You know, it has to be a, something that no one else has or that no one else can deliver. There could be some subtlety to that, but if you have that, it's a really good package. And you know, there there are a lot of uh, television production companies out there. You know, most of their world is consumed with hearing pitch ideas. So it's surprisingly, it's it's a little easier than you might think. Best ever project you're excited about right now? We have a couple of, it's interesting, you know, we're tech enabled, right? But we're doing a couple of magazines. It's an interesting sort of antithesis, you know, to what we've, what we've done. We're, we're going into, into physical print and it's really fun. And we, we launched one uh, middle of last year and it came out great. And it was a very, very select group of our, our clients. Um, and now we're doing one that's a little more sort of macro uh, and, and about the company at large. And it's great. It's cool to see it, you know, develop. And it's it's nice to kind of spin the, all of those, you know, all, all the tech story on its head and go back to a, an actual physical product that people can have and look at, keep with them. Best ever quote. Oh, you know, that's the only one I probably was prepared for. And this is a little heady, but I, so I had to look it up. But I'm going to read it. It's this guy, Herbert Simon. And this is, keep in mind, this is from 1971. He's a social scientist. He says, what information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients. Hence, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. So for 1971, that's that's pretty legit. And it almost goes back to the investing advice. It's like, all this information, there's all this noise. And the result of all that noise is that you have this attention deficit and you can't actually pay attention. So when the great deal shows up, you're suffering from your deficit and you don't have the capacity to really dive in and look at it and realize it is a great deal and, and that you should do it because you're being hammered by all this chatter. So I think that focus sometimes can yield really powerful results. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Not hiring properly. I mean, I think both, you know, as an investor and as a you know, broker owner, uh, it took me over a decade really to, to learn how to hire properly and, and to put the right people in the right positions and to, you know, not, not just reach out and grab the closest person I could find or worse, you know, to hire people who are too much like me. Yeah. Worst mistake has been not, not hiring properly. And Matt, what's the best ever place to reach you besides waving at you on HGTV? Oh, email, probably. Uh, it's just matt at hawaiilife.com. M-A-T-T. Super easy. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, a lot of takeaways for me personally, one, one or two of them um, that really stand out is really focusing on what we're good at. Don't worry about the other stuff. Outsource, have team members who focus in on the other stuff. And on that note, when we create a company, have, as you mentioned, a hyper awareness towards design, towards the quality, towards the branding, and outsource that if we're not a uh, a design expert, even if we play one on TV, but if we're really not one, then we shouldn't be doing that type of thing. We should as you said, it's it could be even dangerous yeah. to do that. And I think that same model holds for investors, really. I mean, I, in my role as an investor, I had to stop myself from sort of pulling at the, the thread of like, oh, let's go pick out tile or let's, let's do blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, my job is to procure and negotiate deals. It's not to tinker with like the color of the carpet. Um, and it, it doesn't mean I, I don't have that capacity. It just means that I need to put someone in that role that does it, does it well and probably better than me so that I don't have the cost of not going out and procuring more deals and negotiating better, you know, 
So it's it's sort of the right people in the right seat. Absolutely. And I appreciate you being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners. And we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much, Joe. Hey, you best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.